Coming up on This Week in Radio Tech, computer technologist, broadcast engineer, voiceover artist, serial entrepreneur, and wacky radio guy, Jack Scott, the most interesting engineer in the world. It's coming up next on Twerk. This Week in Radio Tech is brought to you by Broadcasters General Store with outstanding service, savings, and support online at bgs.cc. By Broadcast Bionics with the Bionic Studio, including talk show control, social media, and visual radio, Broadcast Bionics brings exceptional audience engagement to radio and TV. By Angry Audio. Audio problems disappear when you get angry at angryaudio.com. By Nautel, worry-free transmission you can count on with outstanding control, reliability, efficiencies, and Nautel's unmatched 24-7 customer support online at Nautel.com. And by MaxConnect Wireless, prioritized high-speed internet service designed for transmitter sites and remote broadcasts. Hey, welcome into This Week in Radio Tech, the show where we talk about everything uh, from the uh, microphone to that light bulb at the top of the tower. Hey, I'm Kirk Harnack here in the Nashville studios, the Telos Alliance studios in Nashville, Tennessee. It is a typical cold, sputtering, nasty, cloudy, gray winter day here in Nashville. Maybe it's nicer where you are, uh, but uh, we're going to have a good show for you today because our guest is freaking amazing i'm so glad to make this guy's acquaintance over the last couple of days and uh, we'll 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 turn him on turn you on to him in just a minute right now uh another amazing guy and that is my co-host my ever loyal ever faithful uh turner of the screws and exciter of electrons it's chris tar hey chris oh please <laughs> what <laughs> oh, oh ever faithful what do you want anybody <laughs> You didn't pay me back for the last time I loaned you the money. So I don't know why you know, you're buttering me up now. Um, yeah, actually, I, I just got back. I, uh, I had a fun little project. Um, I put a translator on in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Uh, it's a fill-in translator. In this part of the world, as a fill-in translator, you can go as high as you want. You can't exceed 250 watts, but you can go as high as you want as long as it doesn't exceed the contour of the primary station. So I put up a 250-watt translator with an antenna at 750 feet Holy So God. on a TV Ooh. tower. And, uh, yeah, just put it on the air on Monday, and uh, it was stopping on scan 25 miles away. <laughs> and, and how are the contours calculated? By standard FCC calculation method? Yeah. Or yeah. Longley Rice so or something have, like that? No, it's it's the standard FCC curves and the, and the contours. So... Um, you know, it's, it's a fill in translator. Now we, you know, we reserved the right obviously to put an HD on there later, but, uh, it's, it's a fill in for a, uh, class set a C3. So, I mean, it's got a huge contour to begin with. And then the, uh, the translator is just fill in contour for that. Um, but it was, uh, it was interesting because in Wisconsin, trying to get tower work done any time of the winter is always a challenge. So mm. this was the third week in a row that I drove up there in hoping to get this done. And, and we finally had a couple of good days there and, and got it done. But it's interesting because this is a, uh, it's a Gates air transmitter that I'm using and it's got the audio processor built in and it's got their, uh, interplex card built into it. So you uh, literally, you put the transmitter in, connect the power, connect the antenna, two network cables and you're on the air. No processing, no audio encoding, you know, it's all, directly through the network. So all the audio streams, I've got fiber there, audio streams from the studio, and all there is in Iraq is a single box. You know, with these transmitters getting more and more things built into them, the next thing they need is like a wise camera built into the front of the transmitter. <laughs> and so, and, and of course, you, you could read the meters. You don't need a camera at the transmitter to read the meters. So it's looking the other way. It sees you walking in the building and punching buttons like this. Right. On the front and, of the it, and it's got, and it's got SNMP too. So for remote control, it's all ah. over the wire too. So, oh I mean, it literally, I just popped a box in, plugged it into my firewall and I was done. That was it. I hope you get pictures and video because we're going to need a whole story sometime. Hey, let's bring our, uh -huh. in our guest. Our guest is Jack Scott. Jack, welcome in. Uh, Jack happens to be in the same state as I am, although Tennessee is so long that he's, I don't know, a seven-hour drive away. <laughs> but, but here he is. Hey, Jack, welcome in. Good to see you. Well, good to be here, I'll tell you. Thanks for uh, inviting me, and it's, it's always a pleasure to talk to, uh, to professionals. 
<laughs> well, you're you're going to be sorely and when they arrive, wanting we'll let on you this know. show. And that's, that's right. right. That's what I was. I was waiting for that comeback. So yeah, <laughs> Chris had the best one. Oh my goodness, Jack Scott, uh, you you are like a serial entrepreneur, but you do have a history as a broadcast engineer. And we're going to hear about you. Tell you what, we're going to have to take a quick break. But why don't you give us a little little elevator uh, taste of what we're going to be finding out from from Jack Scott today? Well. Um, Broadcast career spanning uh, now 58 years, uh, started in 1966 when I, at the age of 12. Oh. And it only gets worse mm. from there. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes, he peaked early at 12 years old, ladies and gentlemen. Jack Scott. No, the uh, reason I asked Jack on is because, uh, for, well, he, you know, he's, he's humble but in a proud sort of way. I, I really like this guy's attitude. Um, and he, he does have this broadcast engineering history, but as a broadcast engineer, and we'll, we'll get into this, uh, he decided to branch out into other businesses. And to me, that's a, that's a very curious, interesting, and laudable thing. And I think there are plenty of broadcast engineers who get good at their craft and, you know, they kind of have a desire to, to do something else. And uh, Hey, I know broadcast engineers who have owned coin op laundries, um, and, and, and have gone into the restaurant business, for example, um, and I'm just curious to find out from Jack about his motivation uh, for for getting into other businesses, but always keeping a foot back in broadcast as a consultant, as a voiceover artist. You can tell by his voice. Uh, he's got to share his voice that way and and other other things in broadcast. So we're going to get into into that and hear about Jack and, and his thoughts and how they apply to us as broadcast engineers these days and what we may want to do with our <clears throat> spare time or what we ought to make you know, of our careers if we want to branch out and do something else. So we're going to hear from Jack Scott. Our show, excuse me, this week in Radio Tech is brought to you in part by Nautel. And Nautel, hey, hey, they're starting up their Transmission Talk Tuesdays again in February. Uh, The first one is going to be on Valentine's Day. So I'm sure they'll remind you to take care of your sweetie. Uh, but uh, Jeff Welton will be here on uh, uh, Valentine's Day, February the 14th. You can go sign up right now. Uh, and that's the sign-up page. That's what it looks like right there on the screen. Um, on February 14th, they're going to talk about Smith Charts, something called MER. And I'm going to see if I can get Chris or Jack to explain that to me. And then and more about uh, engineering with Stephen Lockwood of Hatfield and Dawson Consulting Engineers. So Smith Charts, MER and more, Stephen Lockwood. Stephen's a great guy. He's just come back from overseas where he's done a bunch of broadcast uh, engineering work. And he's just all over the place, uh, has more frequent flyer miles than you'd want to shake a stick at. Uh, so sign up at nautel.com slash webinars nautel.com slash webinars and click on transmission talk Tuesday. It's not actually a webinar. I know it's under the webinar heading, uh, but the transmission talk Tuesday is a round table discussion where they, the Jeff Welton host talks to his guests, but also you get to participate. Unlike this show where I barely let Chris in here, <laughs> check it out from nautel.com slash webinars. All right. We're here. Uh, uh, M-E-R. Who wants to answer that one? What is M-E-R? Does anybody know? I'm going to punt that one to you, Chris. And I'm going to punt it back to you there, Kirk. (laughs) I think it sounds familiar. I just don't know from what. Yeah. Mean error rate or something? What that is. Maybe we'll have to uh, hear it from Stephen. It seems like it'd be like mean error rate or something like that. That that does seem likely. Yeah. Does that have anything to do with Smith charts, though? I don't know. Or would it be talked about in the, in the same? We'll have to tune in and find out on That's February fourteenth. Right. Yeah. glued to the television for that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, let's jump right. Let's jump right into Jack's story because it starts out as a few people in our industry have started out, and that's at a tender early age where he just wanted to be on the radio. Jack, uh, nineteen sixty-six. It's September seventh. What happened? Well, I um. Uh, you know, I had the prior to that, I'd met this guy I'd worked at a local radio station as a disc jockey. It was, uh, uh, and, and I just thought he was famous. I, I mean, you know, to a 12 year old kid, that's a big deal. Uh, you turn on your radio every morning and, and there's Bill Midkiff. And I thought that was spectacular. And I, you know, I had a, a, a driving urge to be famous for lack of better words. So uh, I, I, I got my third class radio telephone license and um, went down to, uh, to the radio station. My aunt was doing traffic there. And quite honestly, I thought, 
that was kind of a lonely stretch of road and I had no idea why they needed anybody doing traffic down there. But nonetheless, um, I, I walked in and I applied for a job and, uh, they took me seriously, which, uh, you know, meant that, uh, the next day I was there doing cleaning the toilets. Um, and, uh, I think about an hour into that, that gig, um, I realized this was either going to be the shortest, uh, career in, in the history of broadcasting, or it was going to be something else. So I, I, I summoned up my courage, which I had plenty of back in those days, walked into, uh, uh, Art Simmons office, who's the general manager and said, uh, Mr. Simmons, I have been here nearly an hour and I am not yet famous. And that is not making me happy. <laughs> and that's an absolutely true story. Uh, it happened just exactly that way. And when he got up off the floor and stopped laughing, he took me down the hallway to the production <laughs> studio, uh, turned on the microphone of the, uh, the, uh, Maggie. And, uh, then at that point gave me some, uh, some UPI copy and said, practice, I'll be back. And when he came back about an hour or so later, we listened to some, uh, some footage and he said, I think you'll do. And he started me the following Sunday on air. Uh, and that was September 7th, 1966, as you said. Um, from there, I, I just became absolutely enamored with it. I remember going to school and, and, and uh, we were studying current events and that sort of thing. And of course, you know, I, I, I did really well because I was reading the news every hour at the top of the hour. Um, but I, I found myself watching television to learn how to pronounce places like Phnom Penh and, and things like that so that I could get it right. Um, and, uh, when Art left the station, as general managers tend to do, uh, we got a guy by the name of Bill Powley came in, and uh, he decided he was going to make use of my age, or lack thereof. Um, and so the next thing you know, I'm doing every remote. Uh, I'm doing uh, just everything that you can imagine. I, by 14, I was, I was holding down middays, uh, doing uh, middays, and, and I was doing it six days a week. Um, they let me out of school every, every day at one o'clock so I could, uh, I could do the show. Wow. Um, just, yeah. And, and, you know, I, it would never have happened except for some people in radio, number one, who were forward thinking enough to be able to say, you know, let's take a chance on this kid. And, and, and without my parents and their tacit approval and vigorous and active uh, participation in that whole adventure. My mother used to bring me dinner every night, hot dinner, you know, a plate kind of thing, because I was working, you know, the, the afternoon gig. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just really got lucky, um, and I loved radio, and I still, to you know, I'm 69 years old now, and I, I have a passion for radio that just doesn't end. So that's, that's kind of how I got into this whole thing. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I just, it's just radio makes me happy. It just does. So, so what, uh, and it, Chris, I'm sure Chris had a, a similar experience or one along parallel lines as I did. And, and Jack, surely you did. When did you start wanting to turn screws and, you know, replace burned resistors and figure out what was wrong with things so I that they worked better? About, how, uh, how'd that I happen? think about. 15, um, to be quite honest, I, uh, my aunt, uh, her television broke and I, I said, well, I'll take a look at it. So, uh, I opened up the back of the television and I, I had absolutely zero experience, um, fixing televisions or any other thing for that matter. But when I looked at the back of that thing, for some reason, it just made sense to me. My mind mapped it out. I could, I, I understood it and I have no idea why. Um, but I was able to fix it and that, that sort of piqued my interest. And then I had a, a, a guy by the name of Dave Downing. We talked about David the other day. Um, mm -hmm. now this is a guy who was the chief engineer at the radio station I was working at. He's also the morning news guy. And he's also the EMS, uh, lead, uh, EMS guy for the, uh, emergency squad. And he's legally blind. Imagine oh, that's that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got his nose in this transmitter and he, you know, he, he's getting a suntan from the tubes and, uh, <laughs> and, and I, you know, I just picked his brain and, and things electronic just made sense to me then, just like they do now. I open up a box of something and I, and I, it just makes sense. 
Um, mm-hmm. I, so I decided I was going to, and, and back in those days, uh, you know, if, if you, uh, uh, if you had a first class license, why your, your future was guaranteed, um, because every station had to have an FCC first on, on staff. So mm-hmm. I, 71, I guess it was, I, I went and took my, I went to Boston, took my, uh, the second class, uh, test and then followed right by the first class test, passed that test, got my first. And then promptly in 1972, they deregulated radio and now, <laughs> Uh, you know how that story ended, uh, FC first class, uh, first class licenses went away. They became general class licenses. And now I understand they don't even issue those anymore. So mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of insane, but, uh, that, that really was the whole deal. Um, it was be- honestly, because I could, uh, as silly as that may sound, uh, I had zero training, zero formal education, um, uh, later went to school, became a, a, a bachelor, uh, got my bachelor's in electrical engineering. But, um, you know, I, it just turned me on. Uh, it turned me on like turning, like turning the microphone on. Uh, and I thought, man, I can do this and I'm going to do it. And so I did. Uh, and that's, uh, that may sound, uh, you know, I, I, I maybe conceded a little bit. I, I just could, that's the simple answer. I just could. That you is, can that see is fascinating. there's boxes of cables yeah. and stuff on the back there. I mean, I, I've, I've got, you know, I'm still, I'm still turning screws. So <laughs> there you go. It's fascinating. I, I, thinking back to my own experience, uh, I, I kind of felt I would open the back of a TV and, and yep, black and white, Sears, silver tone, quit working. Mm-hmm. Oh, I opened the back up, totally unqualified to do so, knew not to touch anything. I thought, well, that must be the audio section because the speaker connects in there. And, and that must be the, the part that really makes the electrons fly because there's a wicked-looking red cable that goes to the back of the tube or the side of the tube. That must be really bad right there. It's red. And, and, and that must be the tuner. That's the thing that goes click, click, click when you, when you turn the front of it, you know. And, and, and the, antennas, uh, the antenna leads go into that kind of area. So, Chris, how, how about you? Where, when, when did you kind of knew that, that you had the neck to look at these things and go, yeah, I think I kind of get that? I believe it was when the FCC paid my house a visit when I was 11 to check out the transmitter that I built to get on the radio. True story. Um, I wanted to be on the radio so bad that the engineering part was an afterthought. I, I, I got a book and I learned how to build this stuff and I built it and I got a visit from the FCC. They said, well, you know, we're, we're going to have to take this away. But he said to my mom, you know, this kid might have a bright future in engineering if he keeps it up. And, you know, I th- I think like the rest of you, I kind of started just being fascinated with it. You know, garbage day, I'd be always out picking up as a kid, you know, broken TVs and clocks and everything else and fixing them. And, uh, you know, just uh, just like you, I was self-taught. Um, I never really went to, to school for any of this. I just, I have this innate way to just kind of look at things and figure out how they work. So, uh, you know, it's helped me a lot during my career where, you know, I could you know, I, I run into a transmitter I've never seen before. Well, I can usually just kind of look at it and figure it all out and go, okay, that's going to be the issue. Or, you know, just that, that kind of, I, I just have this real logic about troubleshooting that really has, has helped me out a lot over the years. But yeah, that's my, my first kind of taste of that was getting a visit from the FCC. There you go. I'll tell you a cute story. You mentioned, um, uh, audio sections. Um, for about a year, I lived on an island out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And uh, this was uh, 1976, I guess it was. Um, and there was no, you know, there was no cable or any of those sorts of things. Uh, so we had a, we, somebody had built a television station and a radio station, and then we were, they were broadcasting on that. And um, I naturally was drawn to that. Um, at one point, uh, I wound up being the chief engineer for that operation, and the tra- the audio section in the TV transmitter went down just completely. And getting parts was not a simple thing. I mean, you you didn't go down to the store and buy one. You had to you had to call somebody in Hawaii and order it, and then it you know I had to be flown in. So uh, and of course, meanwhile, everybody's getting excited because they can't watch their their t- favorite shows. So I I took I had a spare FM transmitter. And I lit that mother up and I, and I routed the, the audio to the FM transmitter and, and tuned it up. 
and I told everybody, put your radio on top of the TV and turn them both on. And we did that for like two and a half weeks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the, pretty smart. Uh, you know, you got to do what you got to do sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had not not heard of that. Well, hey, uh, this is uh, this is Jack Scott along with Kirk Harnack and uh, Chris Tarr, and we're on uh, episode six hundred twenty nine of this week in Radio Tech. We're talking about Jack, and uh, you know, I said he's he's the most interesting broadcast engineer, and you're going to find out why. Stay tuned through the through the broadcast here through the podcast because you're going to find out some of the other interesting things that that Jack has done and done very well, and uh, and in fact, gotten himself into a business that. I don't know. We didn't talk about money, but it looks like he's doing okay. And and I love the way that he he talks to his customers about uh, about his his current business focus. All right, uh, enough said about that. We're going to come up and find out how in the world Jack got into building radio and TV stations, actually building stations in good sized markets. That'll be coming up. We're going to hear from our friends right now from Broadcast Bionics. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Bionic Studio. The Bionic Studio brings all audience interaction to the fingertips of a production team in radio, TV and podcast. Our workflow-led system is working 24-7 around the world for small broadcasters and national and international networks. Our telephony module, Bionic Talk Show, allows cost-effective centralization, remote operation, scalability and resilience across an entire network of stations, but at the same time is used in single studio self-op environments. Social media curation and activity is now considered a broadcast critical part of programming. Bionic Social means the studio isn't overwhelmed with a wall of interaction from an ever-growing number of social platforms. We combine SMS, MMS and email together with a speech-to-text service for listeners using smart speakers. We enable studio teams to curate, filter and display all platforms in one place and post text, images and video content to multiple platforms in one operation. Effortless collection of video content with Bionic Director has helped position some of the world's most successful stations as leaders in viral content, generating appointments to listen and free marketing via retweets and shares. Bionic Contest enables end-to-end tracking of on-air competitions, live reads and prizes. These can be on-air contests, automated SMS entry or online. Anywhere and Skype TX for Radio brings high quality audio and video contribution into the studio with ease. No need for dedicated PCs to run different applications. Everything is controlled within the Bionic Studio UI. And incoming connections are visible to users along with all other platforms. Our codec integration enables connection, algorithm configuration and directory to a wide range of IP and ISDN codecs. The Bionic Studio, a unique suite of products designed to enable your talent to work smarter. The Bionic Studio, simply amazing ways to make your broadcasting better. Whether you're doing, you you can be doing podcasting, take live callers, uh, get information up on the screen quickly. The idea behind Bionics is that you uh, pretty much keep doing what you're doing. They just present you with lots more information at callers, uh, video callers. You can do that too. And um, and also make social media clips so easily with the Bionic Studio. Check them out at uh, bionics.co.uk. Hey, thanks a lot for them sponsoring This Week in Radio Tech. By the way, we're going to hear from Dan McQuillan sometime. As soon as we can get him away from his laboratory, we're going to get him back on the show and talk about some of the um, uh, containerized virtual things that Bionic's been, been working on. All right. Our guest is uh, Jack Scott. Jack is a broadcast engineer par excellence and uh, doing a lot of other things, too. The most interesting broadcast engineer in the world, I oh, would say. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, you talk to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, uh, why, you're you're a, a pilot, right? What what, what kind of planes yeah. have you have you flown? Well, I started. Well, I started out in. Uh, I was 14. I started out on a PA 140. Um, mm-hmm. I like to do everything early and get it out of the way, you know. But uh, <laughs> um, later, flew uh, uh, C141. The uh, oh. and so I, I I was an Air Force pilot for about four years. Got shot down right at the tail end of Vietnam and uh, had some fun there. That was quite exciting, but a whole not, whole different broadcast. 
and um and and i've transitioned into helicopters um pretty much if it can be if it's got wings or or rotors i can i can i can handle it so it's wow. it's always it's another one of those passion things and it and it, i think it dovetails very nicely with the uh, the broadcast thing because it's it's about equipment and uh, and 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 i mean you don't fly a 141 without uh, without your instruments you don't you know what i'm saying it's it's all important and the electronics and the and the uh, and and i later really got into engines and that sort of thing too we were talking about my bus career for there for a little bit um mm -hmm. just was fascinated by mechanical things just all of that stuff just fascinated the dickens out of me you know so, a, a number uh, of broadcast a number of broadcast engineers are, are pilots. So transitioning from a, a, a Piper, a PA-140, uh, to a C-141. Well, so C-141, obviously. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a couple of steps in there, obviously. <laughs> the Air Force trains, begins training you on on, on piston uh, engines, and then you transition yeah. into, the, into the trainers, um, and which were really fun. And I really wanted to be a fighter pilot, to be quite honest with you. My eyesight just wouldn't let me do it. Mm. But, uh, nonetheless, um, uh, yeah, there, I mean, there was some steps in there that I, I, you know, I didn't really get into, but, uh, uh, I, just I, I, fly, I you, flying in general is just a, a hoot. I don't know if you want to say anything about it, but I found it fascinating. I, I toward the end of the Vietnam war, um, you were, uh, you were held against your will. Yeah. I, well, we were, uh, um, April 29th, 75, uh, you remember the pictures of the helicopters sitting on top of the, uh, the embassy? Well, sure. that was plan B plan a was me and, uh, some other, some of my comrades, uh, we were going to, to fly into the airport and, uh, and, uh, evacuate people in the, in mm -hmm. the cargo aircraft. Um, we took a uh, mortar round uh, on, on approach right behind my co-pilot's head and sucked him right out of the aircraft. Um, we, uh, I put it on the ground, bent it up pretty badly. Uh, and the airport had, had been overrun, uh, and uh, we were taken prisoner right there. I mean, we, we got out of the airplane and, and there they were. So yeah, we, I spent about four months before they managed to get me, uh, relocated. Wow. Wow. Well, I take it you built some uh, radio and TV facilities, uh, what, after yeah. your Vietnam experience? Yeah, built uh, WMJK in uh, Kissimmee, Florida, um, and uh, helped convert KGMB uh, from the uh, black and white to color. Um, uh, rebuilt a station that uh, burned down, uh, went right to the ground, and so we we had to completely re rebuild that. We actually borrowed a, a trailer, uh, from the local paper company. Um, and, uh, the, a, a competing, a competing radio station loaned us a, a spare transmitter and we put it back on the air. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, I, I, and, and, uh, even doing some engineering as, uh, late as last year out in uh, Nevada. So, um, yeah, I, I've managed to get around a little bit. Uh, interesting that, that there's a number of intervening years uh, throughout the 90s and 2000s that you got into some other businesses. But I want to stay on broadcast engineering for a second. Okay. Uh, e even though you weren't uh, full time into broadcast engineering, you say that you 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 return. You've done a few projects. Technology's got to be changing kind of behind your back. Yeah, What's it like to come to come back into I, engineering with some different technology? Well, I'll, t I'll be honest with you. The technology doesn't sneak up on me too often. Mm. Um, I'm always looking for the next big thing, the next new thing. Um, and, and I read, uh, vociferously. I mean, I'm just, I get crazy about it. Uh, great veracity, I guess is what I wanted to say. Um, and uh, so I, I'm always, uh, you know, try to stay up on stuff. There's some things that, uh, you know, I've, I've let go in the last year or so that I just, Felt like I didn't need to pay attention to anymore, but uh, even the computer technology, though all of those things, uh, it's what really spawned uh, spawned the second business, um, and and then helped me grow into other things. So, um, yes, there are, have been a lot of changes. I when I first started in radio, we didn't have cart machines, um, right. and I'll, I'll tell you, we we did everything with reel to reel. 
we didn't have such things as uh, reverb kits and stuff like that. Or actually, there was some stuff like that out there, but the station I was at was too darn poor to do it. We took two Maggies, uh, put them side by side, and put a seven and a half reel on the outtake reel, and uh, put the uh, another seven and a half on the uptake intake reel of the uh, second Maggie, and we, you know we created about a five second delay there. Uh, and, and, uh, so there was just all kinds of things that you, you just had to do to be, if you weren't creative, you weren't going to survive back in those days. I mean, it just was tough sledding. Uh, I flew when I, I flew the C-141A and we had, no, you know, no GPS. I mean, we had, uh, we had Loran C that's it. Mm. Um, mm. I, I, so, I mean, yeah, I mean the stuff today, I mean, it's, it, it's so much easier in some respects, but it's also so much harder because it's so much more complex. And the complexity of it is what really turns me on. Well, uh, you mentioned computers. So uh, in the early 90s, you uh, saw computers as a way to be creative, make a living, and do something productive. Tell us about that. Well, I, I you know, I was, uh, uh, I started a computer business. I, 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 I had, uh, quite honestly, I had maybe $500 in my pocket. I started running uh, full-page double-truck ads in the local paper. Um, I created a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week operation, uh, hired 37 people. I walked into what, what used to be Sun TV and now is uh, Best Buy, and I, I, I found the six or seven salespeople that understood computers, and I told them all I'd give them a 20% raise if they left with me and went out the door, and they did, uh, including the assistant general manager. Um, so we created this, uh, this, this, uh, computer, this computer store on steroids. You could come in and you could custom order your computer, uh, tell us how you wanted it built. And then we'd build it for you, deliver it to your house, set it up. And then we had classes at night where you could come and take uh, classes to learn how to use the software and the, and the hardware. Uh, mm-hmm. we just did it all. And we had, uh, radio dispatched, uh, vehicles, uh, for service, um, and, we, you know, my business plan called for the first year to do 300,000. That was what we figured we'd do. And we wound up doing a million seven the first year, uh, which created a whole litany of other business issues. Um, when you're financed for 300,000 and you do a, a million seven, you need new financing. Um, and, and dramatic growth requires dramatic uh, financing. And, and a lot of people don't get that. But uh, the net net of all of that is uh, it became a cash cow that really allowed me to, uh, to grow and prosper. Um, somewhere in the early 2000s, we transitioned from computers to security systems, uh, very, very high-end security systems. We built for NASA. We built for the Secret Service. We built for every branch of the military. Uh, we had a huge uh, $250 million contract with the Air Force. Um, it, it was, it was pretty insane and pretty intense. Um, but that business allowed me, uh, to make a considerable amount of money. Uh, and of course I had, uh, you know, every, every wealth guy in the, in the world calling me, wanted me to, you know, invest money in this and that and the other thing. And I said, no, you know, I'm going to invest it in me. And so I started buying, uh, local businesses where I could create local jobs uh, or keep local jobs in, in some cases. Um, and I, you know, we had a, uh, we had a garage with four bays. We had a body shop with three bays and a paint booth. We had a tunnel car wash. We had uh, the number one fine dining restaurant. Uh, we had, uh, a roadside restaurant. Um, we had, uh, a tanning salon. We had a, uh, uh, I think I said plumbing heating, but if not, I did now. Uh, we had uh, a, the list goes on and on and on. A video store, and I promptly took the video store and sold all the videos to uh, a competitor and uh, got out of the video business because I didn't. I saw what was coming. Uh, I just didn't think that that was uh, going to be something that would uh, survive in the long haul, and uh, obviously it didn't. So um, as, as we did those sorts of things, um, it allowed me to focus more on business as opposed to the technology, which was kind of cool because I became pretty good at business. Um, and I think a lot of people, particularly uh, uh, talented engineering people who 
uh, are really into the, the glue of what makes things tick, um, don't have the time or, or the resources to, uh, you know, to, to, to learn how to do business because business is, is, is a real technology all by itself. Mm. So, um, yeah, th those things, uh, all allowed me to, to live a, a, a pretty comfortable life. And I, I've, I've been very, very happy with that. Um, and now we're, uh, I retired about four years ago and now instead of just ending everything, uh, meaning just getting out and, and, and flying around and doing stuff, uh, we've created some new businesses we can talk about if you want to. So, um, yeah, I, I would say serial entrepreneur is probably a, a good, a good way to, to say it. I, I want to, uh, before we take our, our next commercial break, I want to ask Chris about this and, and get your thought, uh, Jack, if you want to pipe in that, um, years ago when I was doing full-time contract engineering, I had an employee and, uh, one day and he was had only been with me about three months and he said hey kirk when are we going to get some some training on this on the equipment that we work on and i said well i said uh th this this isn't like a copier business where we sell you know canon copiers and there are 17 models and they share a lot of parts and a few they don't and you learn you know you take a course on each one or a, a series it's not like that we work on so many different things we we try to discourage us having to work on toilets but occasionally we do and we work on everything from you know tower lights to spark gap arc gap this that and coils and capacitors and tubes and solid state and audio and rf and digital and we work on so many different things that i i can't train you on a particular piece of gear you're welcome to take up manuals home and read them bring them back uh, and so it, it's it's not like a business where you kind of have blinders on and learn one thing but Jerry, this will prepare you for doing almost anything in electronics and systems from component level up to systems level to be able to install, specify, troubleshoot, and, and, and do all that kind of stuff. And, and I really felt, I feel like being a broadcast engineer and really doing it gives you an incredibly well-rounded look into a lot of different electronics technologies and, and physical properties. That's my speech. Uh, Chris, might you feel the same or have a different take on that? No, I think you're right. It's, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, it's, it's all about theory. Uh, you know, what we do is based on theory. What we do it on, uh, you know, the physical devices all, you know, are laid out differently or built differently. But at the end of the day, they all do the same things. So, you know, when I'm training uh, younger engineers, it's more about the theory and the building blocks. Because once you understand that, you can look at anything related. And that's why I think with engineers, they're pretty handy guys to have around or, or women in that, you know, given enough time, there's not a whole lot of things we can't fix because how we deal with things is we look at the blocks and because, you know, we all, we, we run into so many different things over time. We learn how to troubleshoot by, you know, using theory as the background. So, you know, when I try to fix a car or something, I go, well, okay. And, theory you know the way the car works is this and this and this we're getting this far and no farther so it's got to be in here so you know to kind of break it all down we really have to boil it down to the essence of what is it doing what isn't it doing and what should it be doing and taking the steps from there so you know my teaching is more about troubleshooting and theory than anything else um, you know, I'm not going to sit down and show you how to repair a CCA but if you've repaired a CCA those same building blocks are in a BE or a Harris or, or whatever. And you can take those and apply them there. They're just, they're just wired a little bit differently, but as long as you know, the broad strokes, you can solve it. It's not a, a problem you can't fix. I agree wholeheartedly. I, um, I, I've always told people, uh, who I've dealt with over the years, don't think that you're going to become a specialist. What you want to become is a generalist. You want to know, it's better to know a little bit about a lot of things than it is to know a lot about a few things. Um, I, I'll give you a, a weird example of that holding out. Uh, one of my finance customers last year uh, was a uh, car wash, and, and uh, the car wash went down. She had no idea what to do. Uh, they were going to charge her $10,000 to send a guy out to fix it. And I happened to be in her office that day, and I said, I'll take a look at it. So I went over. It took me about a day, got the thing back up and running. I think I charged her $1,000 or something like that. And uh, all I did was read the freaking manual, you know? 
<laughs> it's just, you, you've got to read a lot. Number one, if you're not a good reader, you need to be a good reader. Uh, and number two, you need to understand what Chris, what Chris said, uh, theory, um, and, and uh, be able to apply that from one device or one, one genre to another. Good advice, and we've got more of it coming up. It's This Week in Radio Tech. Uh, episode 629, Jack Scott, uh, broadcast engineer and serial entrepreneur, is our guest. Chris Tarr is along, and we've got a word from uh, some great people who design and are they're good entrepreneurs themselves. And that is Innovonics and their FM and HD mod monitors, available through Broadcaster General Store. Let's take a look. <laughs> Hi, this is Gary Lerman. I'm Sales and Marketing Manager from Innovonics. I'm joined here by our President and CEO, Ben Barber, and we're here to tell you about two new products that we're very excited about. They're HD modulation monitors, the Model 551 and 552, and Ben's going to take us through some of the features. Ben, what can you tell us, tell us about these? The 551 has the big display, 7-inch touchscreen display. You can look at different parameters instantly by walking up to it and touching it, getting information that you need. It also has the LED displays for FM total modulation, uh, left, right, FM, HD 1, 2, 3, and 4. The other thing that the 551 has is that it has full-time audio outputs on studio hub connectors on the back, both analog as well as AES digital. So you've got FM, HD 1 through 4, they're full-time. The 552 doesn't have the display, doesn't have the metering, and doesn't have the full-time audio outputs, but the web interfaces are identical for remote viewing and monitoring. Great. Thanks very much, Ben. These products are going to be available in January 2022. Contact us at intervonicsbroadcast.com for more information. Thanks very much. And as you can tell, uh, that was a year ago, and they are available, and they're available through Broadcaster General Store, including the whole line of Innovonics uh, uh, equipment, famous FM mod monitors like the 531. They're up to the N series now. Uh, the Sophia HD Radio Sight Streamer, uh, the Inno Omni line, uh, just all kinds of good stuff that make your life so much better, do the monitoring for you. Uh, and even the Aaron FM rebroadcast receiver, which is a, just a great thing to have for for your, your, your translators. You can get all this from Broadcaster's General Store. I was just talking to Jessica Shute today from BGS, and my goodness, those people operate so efficiently. They're able to really sharpen that pencil before they give you a quote. And uh, their custom systems for tracking uh, the availability of your equipment and the order, once it's processed and on its way to you, they really have a great ability to let you know when it's going to arrive and give you a very good price for it. So check them out at Broadcasters General Store. The website is bgs.cc, or you can uh, call them. I, that's what I prefer to do at 352-622-7700. That's 352-622-7700 for Broadcasters General Store. Thanks so much, BGS, for sponsoring this week in Radio Tech. Okie dokie, we're here with uh, Jack Scott. Chris Tarr is along, and we're talking to, to Jack, the most interesting engineer in the world, because he is uh, he's done so much. I don't know if he's sponsored a, a, a beer brand yet, but, nope, but he's done about everything else. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's asked you yet? Um, uh, so let's see. We're going to move in. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, you, you, you mentioned... Um, and, and I'm so glad for you that that you know capitalism creates uh, creates an income. We hope it does for the for the guy who sure. starts the thing, guy, gal, whomever, and and creates jobs for more people. I mean, my little radio stations. I guess we've got uh, almost 20 employees throughout the stations, and and uh, you know they, they well they they wouldn't have jobs with us if we didn't have the radio station. So uh, you've created some some businesses. You mentioned restaurants, car wash, that kind of thing. Uh, and of course, the computer uh, sales service company and the uh, security company. Um, by the way, on that security company, you you mentioned that this was pretty high tech and high security stuff. Can you let us in about how that area of of security is is different than well than home security or maybe standard building security? What was special about what you guys were designing? Well, for government agencies. When you, we'll use NASA as a classic case in point. They had uh -huh. uh, purchased equipment from, I guess, five or six other vendors. 
and they had given them a, a set of specifications um, that they wanted. Um, and it, it wasn't about the, the money at that point in the game. It was about getting those specs. They needed to, to, to hit that, that, those numbers. Um, and they had sent back every piece of equipment they had purchased um, before they called me. And they called me and they went through, I think I spent about an hour and a half on the phone with them, uh, with their lead engineer, and he walked me through exactly what he wanted. And I, I had answers for him. And he said to me, you're the first person I've talked to that actually seems to understand what it is I'm talking about. And I sort of paused for a second and I, I was kind of taken aback because I, I never thought I was that smart of a guy, to be honest with you. Um, I, you know, they're, they're dealing with, with some rather large companies that you know, have a lot of money to throw around for engineering talent, but, um, they had, they had dumbed the, the equipment down to get a cost, uh, you know, to get it to a certain cost point. And I told the guy, I said, uh, do I have some free reign to, to, to do this and, and, and come back to you with a number that, that will fit the bill. And he said, yeah. So I went, I sat down and I designed a, a system. This, I went into Goddard space center, uh, actually that particular piece of equipment. Um, and it was in the very, very early days of IP cameras. And they were starting to move mm. video over IP. Um, and, and no one, you know, you probably could talk to 15 people in the industry and nobody, you know, you might find two of them that understood what IP was. Um, and I got it. And so I, I built the equipment, uh, quoted them a price and, or well, quoted them a price, then built the equipment which is the smarter way to do it. But nonetheless, um, we sent it down there along with the tech to install it. And uh, they put it up. And within a week, uh, he's calling me to tell me how, how we've not only met the, the, uh, the numbers, but we've exceeded the numbers. And they're just thrilled and happy. And can I have another, please? Um, and uh, yes, it was a little more money than they had spent before. Uh, but I don't think it was the money that was was the problem. It was the the trying to package something into a price point, and a lot of companies do that, um, and I, we just never did. It was the price was the price is the price. If you want it to work right, then we'll build it for you, and it will do what I told you it'll do. Uh, but it, it's not going to be the cheapest date in town. And I find that, and, and which leads me to the to a point which I think. Custom equipment is uh, where I've always wanted to be. I always wanted to be in the custom niche as opposed to uh, off-the-rack type of stuff where one size fits all. Um, and, you know, we, we've just, we just built good stuff. And I had great tech support people. I, I had a guy that was with me for 30-some years um, as my lead tech, and he was just he had the patience of Job. Um, you know, I would have been, I would have gotten on a plane and flown down to beat somebody before, you know, by the time he's on his third hour of trying to tell him how to, how to do something. But nonetheless, uh, I think it was all of those factors. We just never took the approach that we were going to do it halfway. Uh, when we got the air force contract, uh, they wanted stuff within six months. And I said, I can't do that. And they said, well, when can you do it? I said, you've got to give me a year. And they said, well, why is it going to take you a year to do this? And I said, because it's not about building the equipment and getting it to you. What am I going to do when you call and need help with it? I don't have the staff to support that. I've got to, I've got to find people. I've got to train them on this equipment. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to get desks and chairs and computers and all of this other stuff. And it's going to take me some time. And I would rather pass on the, on the opportunity than to have you call us and find out that we can't handle uh, your need. So, it, you know, give me a year or I'm going to have to pass on this. They gave me the year and, and we, built, uh, we built a system in Aviano. I don't know if you know what a hush house is, but if not, I'll explain it to you. But we built systems in Aviano, Italy. We built Nellis Air Force Base. Uh, we built uh, one in, in England. Uh, all over the world, we were building these hush houses. Um, and it's, it was really a lot of fun you know this this translates i think into engineering in a very good way in that you know a lot of us are guilty of or, or you know contract engineers are guilty of trying to hit a price point and yeah. they they tell the station owners or whatever yeah you know i can do it for for this amount of money look i mean you know you're gonna save all this money and and 
but the thing is, is it's, it's something you wouldn't be proud of. And, and it, I had to go back. I, I worked with a, a station. They had somebody built them a, a translator. And, you know, they're like, look at how much money I saved. You know, he, he built it on the cheap. And, and, but then, you know, a month later, he's complaining that the thing doesn't work. He's like, it sounds horrible. The coverage isn't very good. And so I stepped in and I said, listen, this is going to cost you some money. If you want to do it right, this is what we're going to have to spend. And if you're not willing to spend it, I don't want to be involved because I don't want to build something that's going to, you know, you're going to badmouth me a year from now saying that I built a piece of junk. So, you know, we're going to spend some money here, but I, I assure you that the results are going to be great and you're going to be very happy with them. And sure enough, he was. And I think so many, you know, so many times as especially contract engineers, but engineers in general, we want to be the, the hero with saving the money. And when you can do that, that's great. But, you know, we're the ones who have to support it down the road. So, you know, when I go to, to my coworker who owns the radio station and they say, you know, yeah, there's a cheaper way we can do this, but I, I don't want you yelling at me in a year because it's broken. <laughs> yeah. You know, I we need to spend a little bit more money this time and do it well. I've always found that no is the single most powerful word in the English language. Uh, when you tell somebody no, their first reaction is, why? And you've just hit right. the nail on the head. You know, I, I'm not going to do something that I'm not proud of. I'm not going to do something that I'm going to get, uh, you know, labeled as, as, a, as a bad guy over. And, and I'm certainly not going to promise NASA something that I can't deliver. I don't know what, you know, <laughs> what are they going to do? Put it on the, put it on, a, on, on the space shuttle and, and, and it doesn't come back because I screwed up. I don't know. I, you know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm just not, I'm not willing to take that chance. And I, I found oftentimes I would get calls, uh, where people wanted a certain thing and I would tell them no. And, and I lost some deals. I I'm sure I did, but mm -hmm. by the same token, I, they, it never bothered me to walk away from a deal. Um, even a big one, uh, you just have to, you have to be true to yourself and you have to be true to your product and your service. And if you don't believe in you and you don't believe in your product and service, how are you ever going to convince somebody else that, that they should? So I, that's my 30 seconds of, uh, how to say no. What good advice. Awesome advice. You know, I, Jack, I, I do see you as a bit of a, a fellow who understands the technologies, we've, as we've talked about earlier in the show, because you had a, a broad range of experience. Uh, but then when you find a niche, oh, sure, there's other companies that would have that that said they could deliver these security systems, but mm -hmm. you actually could. It, it may have cost a bit more and taken more time, but uh, there's 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 there had to be confidence in Jack Scott that Jack was going That's to it. deliver They're, this They property. were really, it, well, in, in the upfront part, they're buying me. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, yeah. the, I'm the CEO, I'm the owner of the company, and I am the, uh, the lead engineer and the lead designer, uh, which seems like a lot of hats to wear, and it was. But nonetheless, uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're listening to what I'm telling them. They're, they're believing what I tell them, and they're willing to take a chance on me. And that's part, uh, that's part knowing your stuff. But it's also part being a good salesman, uh, and but being an honest salesman, just just laying it out on the line. That yes, this can be done. Yes, this is what it's going to cost, and yes, that's probably more money than you expected to pay. But I can deliver that product, and uh, if you want it, I, write me a check. So there you go. So a lot of you in the audience, and certainly uh, me, I'm wondering, what is Jack doing now? What what is where has he taken his his talents? And we've we've gonna have that for you, but first we're gonna make a couple of shekels and tell you about some things that we believe in ourselves. And in fact, to do part of that, Chris Tarr is here to talk about our friends, our mutual friends, who are uh, uh, at, at Angry Audio, a guy who loves broadcasting. So Chris, what do you got for us? We're going to talk about the chameleon again, and they've got some updates coming up that are pretty exciting. As you know, I'm a big believer in the Angry Audio Chameleon C-level, C4, and C3 processors. Uh, boy, you know, Corny Gold putting his ear to this stuff really makes a, a ton of difference. And, and Corny and I have talked several times about this. I've installed, I, I, I bought 25, I'm about halfway through with my installations, and they all sound fantastic. And I'm hearing from other people who've done the same thing. 
and have gotten the same results. It, it'll make a, a new processor sound even better, and it will really breathe life into older processors using this AGC ahead of the uh, the, the old processor that you're using. Um, they've got the headphone processor, which gives you on-air-like audio quality in the headphones, because remember, with HD and all these other things now with delayed audio, a lot of uh, announcers are just listening to the program feed in their headphones, and it can be a little bit weird if, you know, those of you who've been on the air know what I'm talking about. You get used to hearing yourself through the audio processing over the air. All of a sudden, that's gone, and it kind of throws you off your game. The uh, C3 headphone processor fixes that by giving you nicely processed audio in your headphones. Then there's the C4, which is a live stream processor. And what that's great for is if you're doing streaming. Uh, I know Shane Tovin uses it at his church for streaming his church services. Um, it, it really acts as a really nice leveling agent, leveling device that keeps the, uh, the audio level. It uh, keeps the uh, EQ active, uh, gives you a great sound quality, and uh, just a really nice device to have right at the end of your audio feed as it feeds the streaming device. Then there's the C-Level. This is the replacement for the Ariane and the compeller and those things that aren't made anymore. And the C-Level is just a fantastic product. It's a multi-band AGC. It's got some secret sauce in there, uh, thanks to Corny. And it just sounds fantastic. I put them in front of all of my audio processors and it gives it a real natural open sound. And, and Corny kind of described it as an, as he made it sound analog and without the noise. So you don't have all the noise floor or anything, but it gives you that warm analog sound. And there's a brand new product coming out. I haven't seen it on the website yet. They have a software version of the chameleon coming out, which is not only a, processor through software, but also as a VST plugin. So if you're doing production or anything like that, you can use the Chameleon plugin to sweeten your audio. All that stuff, just fantastic. You can stop by uh, Angry Audio's website at angryaudio.com for more information. Also, uh, I know I've, I use my friends over at BGS to order this stuff. Um, check them out. They have a great Facebook page too. In fact, I think they just recently did a giveaway of the new Chameleon software processing. So be sure to, uh, to check that out. Um, you know, whenever you have an audio problem that needs to be solved, get angry, angry audio. There are uh, just some great, fantastic products there. Check them out. Angryaudio.com. Thanks so much to Angry Audio for sponsoring this week in Radio Tech. Our show is also brought to you by Josh Bone at Max Connect. That company is growing and growing and growing. And one of the big reasons is this amazing product, the Max Connect Wireless uh, Max Connect. And uh, here's somebody to tell you about it right now. I'm Gary Morrill, Midwest Regional Director of Engineering for Alpha Media. When I first spoke with Josh Bone about Max Connect, he told me they'd work great for remote transmitter sites where connectivity was a challenge. And you know, he's absolutely right. We even have sites where we're using this as a backup to our STL using MacConnect's dual carrier option, and it works perfectly. We also have times where we need to be able to get out to a venue where it's kind of challenging because everybody and his brother is trying to stream video at the same time, like at a big sporting event. And you know what? Our data gets through every time because it's prioritized packet data. It works for us. It'll work for you. Max Connect. Check it out. And it works for us, too. You know, sometimes we have to do the show. I'm on the road, we and we don't have good Wi-Fi from the hotel or whatever. In fact, a couple episodes back with Frank Foti as our guest, uh, I was at a seaside resort in Florida, and the Max Connect was the best way to connect by far. It wasn't going to work any other way. So check it out. Max Connect. Uh, you go to maxconnect.com. I know it's spelled funny. M-A-X-X-K-O-N-N-E-C-T. Maxconnect.com. And you can choose your carrier too, um, whichever one you think is going to be uh, working best. Or or you can even um, choose two carriers. That's kind of cool as well. Thanks a lot, Josh Bone, for being such an innovative leader and putting this thing together. All right, uh, we got a few remaining minutes with our guest, uh, Jack Scott. Jack, um, I wonder if you can tell us about what you're doing now, something that's pronounced like onyx and spelled like what? <laughs> what, yeah. is, what is this business? We, uh, well, I, you know, I, I, the whole uh, internet streaming uh, of radio and, and uh, now television really fascinated me uh, as long ago as maybe six or seven years when this was still a, a very, very new technology. So I always wanted to create something that would, that would work in that genre. So we created a, 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 a new product called Onyx. It's A-H-N-Y-X and it's onyx.com. 
And then there is an ahnyx.tv as well. And we're about to launch the TV promotion or the TV thing. Um, we originally started uh, just uh, streaming music for bands, that sort of thing. Uh, we were able to, uh, to do 320K streaming, which is how music should be listened to, as opposed to the traditional 128K that most, uh, most internet stations are streaming. So uh, we started out with, uh, we started building Onyx. Um, that is up and running, and we have customers using it now. And uh, now we have developed um, 4K uh, video streaming and restreaming platform where you can actually uh, uh, do 30 frames a second in 4K um, with, uh, with uh, 320K uh, accompanying audio. Uh, and uh, we've got uh, some new, new product that we're putting together there, uh, the uh, live television, uh, as well as uh, uh, a TV station in a box, if you will, where you can upload uh, your, your, uh, your shows and stuff and just, uh, stage them and, and have them play out. So that's one of the, one of the things that, uh, we're doing. Uh, it's, it's kind of in keeping with my technology geekiness, if you will. Um, and then the other thing, uh, is, and is, this is really just kind of started as a lark. Um, I'm a sales guy. Uh, so I kind of miss talking to customers. Uh, and uh, the next thing you know, I, I had this opportunity to get into the credit card business. And uh, I tell you, I wish I had found the credit card business, you know, 40 years ago. Um, it has been amazing uh, in what we've been able to do there in a year's time. Um, yeah, I it literally doubled my income um, in, in, in a year's time doing that. And it has also led me to make uh, a lot of friends. Uh, I also own another company called Scott Webb. We do uh, uh, web graphics and uh, uh, web design, that sort of thing. So that has allowed me to, to, uh, to meet some customers there, uh, to just do what I do best, which is to be a generalist. We uh, bring a lot to the table, business coaching, all those sorts of things. Uh, and I love the business coaching aspect of, of this whole gig better than probably anything else because I got actually get to sit with people who you know who have started a business and like most of us who start a business the first time uh we've made every mistake in the book um and now we're trying to figure out how to backtrack and get get on the right track and I I'm, I'm able to help those folks and that's that's a, a very rewarding thing because it, it means that we keep jobs in the marketplace. Um, and, and, uh, I'm a big believer in, in being a job creator. So that's oh, what we're doing now. And, uh, it's working fine and, and I'm happy doing it. I, I, uh, two, just, a, just shy of two years ago, I was very fortunate to meet a young lady and, uh, marry her, um, just a spectacular woman who's, uh, the light of my life. And uh, we're just living large in Johnson City, Tennessee. <laughs> and and to think it all started with uh, with I'm not famous yet. Yeah, I'm not famous yet. That's that's pretty <laughs> much it. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, yeah. uh, uh, Jack, I, I look forward to meeting you in person sometime when I get up up through I'd your area. To. If you get down through uh, Nashville, or if you ever go up to Milwaukee and see where you know where they make beer, you, know, you can you can go up there. See Chris. I, I beer is good with me. I'm I, I like beer. Yeah. Chris, beer and Chris hates beer, I can tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I look like it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Beer and brats and cheese curds. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. Man. Right. All <laughs> well, good Jack, stuff. Well, thanks, a, guys, it, for having me on. It's been a pleasure. And uh I've enjoyed this hour of uh, just chit chatting and telling my story. It's been great. And your, your story's inspiring. And I think a lot of engineers, you know, have dreams of doing something, you know, in, in addition to, or in parallel with what they're doing now, some, some great business advice. I heard a, a speaker a few months ago, uh, came through Nashville. Uh, he actually g gave away copies of his book. Um, and, and it's it basically, Hey, if you want to do something else, the best way to do that is to keep your current job and use that as a springboard or a, as, sure, as an absolutely. enabler to, to do what, you know, something else you may be interested in doing. And that's what he did. And that's what a lot of folks have done. And Hey, for example, I appreciate my friends at Telos Alliance. Uh, you know, I get a little bit of time on Thursdays to do this show and keep my full-time job. So I really appreciate that. They've really, they've made that uh, a special thing for me. And, and Chris works with Magnum Media. What a, what a great boss he's got in that right, Chris. The best. He really oh, is. Yeah. He, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, he, you know, he lets me do all this and I've got the freedom to kind of explore other things. So I'm having a lot of fun. 
Good deal. All right. Hey, a big thanks to our producer for this show, and that is Suncast. Thanks very much, Suncast, for doing the show. I will get you the show information just uh, right away this evening so that you can uh, get that done in preparation for your your big trip. And uh, I think that's about it. Hey, next week we've got um, a retired engineer on it. That's a couple of them. A retired engineer who is one of the funniest guys. I Inviting him to be on the show, I couldn't, couldn't get a straight answer. I thought, oh, man, the whole show is going to be this way. But you're going to love him uh, coming up next week. We'll see you next week on This Week in Radio Tech. Bye-bye.